Welcome to the Faith in Maine podcast. I'm Katie Clark, your host. We are sharing stories of life and faith and ministry across our 58 churches, 18 summer chapels, Camp Bishopswood, three Jubilee centers, and ministries that make up the Episcopal Diocese of Maine. Today, we'd like to share with you an address by Bishop Brown on the occasion of the 203rd Convention of the Episcopal Diocese of Maine on October 22nd, 2022. Our theme for this convention, and indeed for the next year, comes from the second verse of the 12th chapter to the letter to the Hebrews. Let us run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I'd like to tell you a story of another pioneer, one whose story is deeply entwined with Maine. George Burgess was born on Halloween in 1809 in Providence, Rhode Island. He matriculated at Brown when he was 13 years old and graduated when he was 17 years old and then spent three years in Germany studying. In his 20s, George Burgess was ordained to the priesthood in Connecticut and served as the rector at Christ Church in Hartford. We don't know, but it's possible that his brother, at the time a priest here in Maine, nominated George to become bishop because in early October 1847, we elected George Burgess unanimously to become our first bishop. On his 38th birthday, he was consecrated in Connecticut and arrived in Gardner on the 2nd of November in 1847. In those days, a trip from Portland to Bangor could take as many as 24 hours, and there were very few railways. Most of his travels throughout Maine were by stagecoach and sometimes on his own horse. Burgess soon became known as an enterprising leader, and in an advertisement recruiting clergy to Maine, this is what Bishop Burgess wrote. The Bishop of Maine would be extremely grateful for the opportunity of communicating with several clergymen who may be willing, in a pioneering spirit, to accept for a time the charge of parishes somewhat isolated in their position requiring patience, energy, and a constitution capable of bearing a bracing climate. We offer good churches and salaries of 500, 600, 700, or 750. Bishop Burgess died of natural causes in April of 1866, almost 20 years later, on board a ship near Haiti where the House of Bishops had asked him to visit to explore missionary possibilities. The preacher at Burgess's funeral at Christ Church and Gardner said, he was strangely compounded with a secret of power, winning the confidence of all because he knew himself to be a pioneer of pioneers. Pioneer is from the Greek word archagos. Archagos is the author, the beginner, the instigator, the impetus, the trailblazer who goes before us. We look 
to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Archegos, in the context of a race, is the team captain. For in Greek games, the team captain would run the race and then wait at the finish line to encourage teammates as they followed in her steps. Now, I recognize that this robustly athletic image may run counter to the tiredness that many lay and clergy leaders feel just now. But while there's tiredness, there is also curiosity, a yearning forward, a building of energy. We've seen it this fall. The majority of our congregations in Maine are welcoming new people, many of whom come with little or no religious experience or practice. In the biblical context of Hebrews and in this new missional age of Christianity, Jesus has been the scout, blazing a trail through all of human existence and tested in every way like all of us. And yet at the end of the suffering through the cross, finding a new life. When we, the people of God called to be the Diocese of Maine, when we embody a pioneering spirit, we'll strengthen our resilience to face challenges, the ones that we know and the ones that are yet to come. And then, as pioneers, we'll have both the enthusiasm and the stamina for the race that is before us. Some questions remain. What does a pioneering spirit mean for us in the Diocese of Maine right now? And two, where can we roll up our sleeves for the work of looking to Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? First, we are going to join each other to set a vision for going forward, saying together, this is where we're going. When the Standing Committee and the Diocesan Council meet together this coming December, I will ask them to join you to listen for your hopes and dreams for where we will go in the next three to five years. Some might call this a strategic plan, and that's fine. Yet I think we have to acknowledge that right now we may not have enough information to perfect measurable strategies. But a lack of information about a post-pandemic Diocese of Maine, what that looks like, doesn't mean that we can sit back and go with the flow. We have to identify ways forward, mission experiments, fresh expressions of worship and formation, and perhaps most especially, partnerships with other religious and non-religious communities. Second, we will keep at it with three specific calls for justice and peacemaking those that center on anti-racism and adaptation to climate change. We have to keep front and center that these journeys are lifelong, and they're going to be the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. Some specific things. Dr. Catherine Meeks, a renowned leader in racial healing, will be with us on November 8th, all of us, 
online to tell us her story about being a prophet and how she calls others to dismantle racism through education and prayer and dialogue and pilgrimage. Second, becoming beloved community may also include forming or continuing a sacred ground circle in your faith community. Every single congregation, summer chapel, all of us, we have the opportunity to learn from film and readings and from one another through dialogue. Every congregation who wants to explore sacred ground has access to people who are ready to help, both here in Maine and throughout the church. And there's more. In addition to our ongoing work with sacred ground among people in the Diocese of New Hampshire and Vermont, today I'm announcing that beginning in February, we'll be invited to join people in the Diocese of Alabama for dialogue circles using sacred ground. These are specific opportunities for this coming year to engage in anti-racism work. We all know that our climate is changing. Every person and every institution has to play a part, not only to heal from despair and inaction, but also to adapt our church buildings and our properties to become oases, to grow, preserve, and distribute food. And here, I want us this year to consider two questions. The first is this, how can we engage and listen to the 7,600 farms and farming families in Maine so that we can work together to ensure food security in Maine and also to heal the earth? And second, what are the possibilities for mission and partnership with the 18,000 Mainers licensed in various ways to fish from and still care for our ocean's health? These are big questions, and whatever the answers, they're going to emerge from creating relationships and friendships with others who may not yet know that our church has a desire to participate in them in justice and healing work. Envisaging our future, becoming beloved community, and adapting to and working with others to sustain the earth and the water. We are going there. That is where we're going. We're also going to study something concrete, literally made from bricks and mortar. Following today's convention, I will appoint a task force to evaluate the purpose and the use of Loring House the gracious home at 143 State Street, the site of our diocesan offices for over 50 years. The task force will comprise members from diocesan council, the standing committee, trustees of diocesan funds, the Cathedral Church of St. Luke, Portland area commercial real estate people, and parishioners from several churches. A first task for them will be to listen to you about what you need for a physical location for day-to-day diocesan-based ministry that equips you 
to do the work that God has called you to do. The task force will conduct its work and report back to this convention in 2023 with recommended actions. I want to be very clear about this right now. I myself cannot say whether Loring House is or is not the best forum for diocesan ministry. I am aware that several dioceses have sold or repurposed what were large mansions to move into local churches or to affordable and physically accessible office parks. In one way, this is about stewardship of a very valuable asset. And in another way, this task force is necessary because of our experience of the past two years. Most of the diocesan staff have worked from our homes. This fall, we have resumed operations at Loring House three days a week, but we've done that not so much because of our need to do that, but because of our desire to work together. The house itself is not a prerequisite to serving you. As we embark on these pioneering endeavors, I want to reinforce two, I want to reference two events from this past summer that I think also will inform our future work. First is the 80th General Convention in Baltimore. Besides the video recap that you'll see today, I want to say a word about prayer book revision. To be honest, I wish that previous general conventions had paved the way for a new prayer book when we adopted the current one. As it is, we are likely not to experience any substantive revision for the better part of a decade. And yet, there is now finally a roadmap for us to get there. You know me pretty well, and you know that I love worship in the prayer book tradition, but that does not mean I am any less hungry for a liturgical church whose texts and postures reflect expansive language for God, humankind, and creation. And this is why the Diocese of Maine will continue to use approved resources, such as enriching our worship, to integrate our praise of God with our values for this 21st century. The second event was the Lambeth Conference in Canterbury, England, a gathering of bishops from around the world for prayer, study, and friendship. Your support for me and for my uninvited spouse, Tom, was literally spiritual nourishment, especially early on when voting devices were introduced to this non-legislative body and when the LGBTQ community was yet again likely to be the sacrificial lamb for the sake of the so-called communion. The faith and the social media engagement from people around the world moved mountains. In the end, the Archbishop of Canterbury exercised beautiful leadership by laying claim to the faithfulness of churches like ours who ordain and marry LGBTQ people, as well as the faithfulness 
of those whose interpretation of the Bible leads them to oppose and reject us. My own hope is that any future global gathering of Anglicans will include lay people, priests, and deacons, and that mission possibilities and friendships will be the outward and visible sign of what it means to be part of the Anglican communion. There is one specific outcome from my time at Lambeth that includes a likely companion relationship with the Diocese of Argyle and the Isles in the Scottish Episcopal Church, which will link us with them because we are remarkably similar in size, in geography, in missiology, and in our understanding of what it means to be the church. Besides, really, who among us doesn't want to go to Iona? Dear friends of God, called to be the Episcopal Diocese of Maine, the pioneering spirit of Bishop Burgess in that advertisement that he wrote to recruit clergy to Maine in the 1800s, it remains in each of us because we've been doing this for over 200 years. We are pioneers of the pioneer, who is also the perfecter, filling in and filling out what we lack. We have everything that we need because it's God's good pleasure in Jesus Christ's nature to take whatever in us or around us that's incomplete and to make it whole. So when our knees are weak and our hands are drooping, when we feel worn out from the journey, we look to Jesus Christ, who has run this race and who beckons us onward saying, let go, keep learning, keep going, because my spirit leads you and my truth and grace live in you. They're alive in you, even until the end of the age. May it be so, in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Faith in Maine podcast, brought to you by the Episcopal Diocese of Maine. If you like this podcast, please leave a review and rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That helps us spread God's word even further. Thank you.